and welcome to episode three of Unmanageable, news from the unruly people and places of Mendocino County, California. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. lived back beyond that bridge were well-to-do, this would not be happening. This was a six-month project, and we got 15 to 17 trailers, motorhomes, bus out in like 17 hours. The real messiness of the situation and the lack of clarity has just really shown that low-income people and older people and disabled people are going to bear the brunt of crises like this when they happen and it shouldn't be that way. If you live here in Mendocino County, it's likely you saw the headlines over New Year's about the sinkhole that opened up north of Willets during the atmospheric rivers. A series of heavy storms dumped a dozen inches of rain onto drought-parched watersheds, charging the creeks and filling Lake Mendocino. Power was knocked out for days, and one woman in Fort Bragg, a beloved local educator, died when a tree crashed onto her house. The storm did so much damage in the region, it was declared a federal disaster. But for the residents living in the Creekside RV Park along Reeves Canyon Creek, the storm was just the beginning. I'm John Haschak, 3rd District Supervisor, and I represent the district of Willits up to Laytonville and Covalo, that section of the county. And so Creekside Properties is about seven miles north of Willits, and, and that's part of my district. It's a tragic story of, you know, this sinkhole that happened during the atmospheric rivers that we had in late December and early January. And, you know, the sinkhole that developed on this private encroachment for this park that had a bunch of residents for north of Willits. On December 30th, local news website Mendo Fever posted a photo of the sinkhole online. The image showed a gaping pit filled with brown water in the middle of an asphalt road, and an overturned car that had fallen into it. By the end of the day, the road had completely washed away. The driveway was the only access into the Creekside RV park, and the 50 people who lived there were suddenly cut off and unable to drive their cars in or out. For almost a month, residents quietly improvised, shuttling food and supplies across the creek, hoping for the bridge to be repaired so they could go on with their lives. At the end of January, Creekside residents found themselves in the headlines again. There were reports of a frantic evacuation and a temporary bridge brought in for two days that cost the county of Mendocino $250,000. So what happened out there? 
Why did one washed out culvert lead to the displacement of an entire community, even though disaster money was available? How come, no matter how many meetings were held between government officials, agencies, the landowner, and regulators, no one could figure out how to fix the road? And what does this mean for us as a county, where our infrastructure is aging, disasters like fires and floods are increasingly common, and lack of housing is driving more and more people into marginal living situations like RV parks? It was like a small community, like a little town, you know, and people, everybody knew everybody, and it, it was good, you know what I mean? It wasn't a bad place to live at all. According to the California Housing and Community Development Agency, or HCD, RVs and trailer parks make up 13.5% of all homes in Mendocino County. That's almost 5,600 households. RVs aren't eligible for HUD or Section 8 subsidies because they don't meet the standards for safe, quality housing. The HCD is responsible for inspecting and regulating the county's 27 RV parks and 47 mobile home parks. But they're lucky if they can visit three or four a year. I am what you might call a seasonal worker. As such, um, Creekside RV opened its gate and it was a great opportunity to be close to where I work. And since the September, it's never had any problems staying there. There's great variety of people. You can imagine this place as a first step in the ladder. For so many people, it's like a transitional one-step separation for dignity and for degree of a freedom. The Creekside Resort and RV Park is tucked right up against the east side of Highway 101, about six miles north of Willits. There's no reliable cell phone access. Cars and semis race through here, and their engine noise bounces off the forested hills that rise up on either side of the road. Even though it's remote, it's loud. Before it collapsed, the entrance to the park didn't look like much. It was just another narrow paved driveway along the highway. The road continued on through the 28-acre park, flanked on either side by about 35 trailers and fifth wheels and one converted Bluebird school bus, parked next to each other in parallel rows beneath thick stands of tan oak. A lot of those people back there are low-income people. They're at the bottom of the chain. They don't have money. A lot of these people get, you know, ISS checks and stuff like that. They're not able to work. They're not able to make more money. That place provided them a safe place to be, be able to feed themselves and sustain themselves. You know, that's what that place was for. So what about the sinkhole? It happened when the driveway into Creekside basically washed away on December 30th. The structure was built sometime in the 1930s, way before modern permitting, sequa, or any considerations of salmon habitat. Culverts built that long ago were frequently undersized and not engineered to withstand a 100-year flood. As the owner of the structure, Caltrans had the culvert inspected five years ago, in October of 2017, by a firm called HDR Engineering. They went out to see whether the culvert was an obstacle for salmon and steelhead to get upstream during spawning season, not to check for structural integrity. When I visited the County Office of Planning and Building, there weren't any recent permits for maintenance or repairs to the culvert, and the original building permit was so old that even Caltrans was having a hard time locating it. When the atmospheric rivers hit in December, 
That culvert was pushing 90 years old and near the end of its lifespan. It was bound to fail at some point. The water that raged through the canyon in a brown torrent on December 30th was more than the culvert could take, and it collapsed, bringing the driveway down with it. At the time, it was the deal between the private landowner, the park owner, and Caltrans, because Caltrans had the encroachment, the, and it had nothing to do with the county. According to Supervisor Haschak, the county got involved in the first days after the sinkhole when the landowner refused to take action. They arranged plans to immediately rebuild the culvert with a contractor approved by Caltrans. The problem was it was very close to the highway. It was on kind of Caltrans property, but it was an encroachment permit for, for, for the RV park. So the county set up with the contractor, said, okay, we, we can, you know, the contractor can do this for you, and you work it out with the contractor. Well, I guess that those conversations between the contractor and Teresa Thurman, the property owner, broke down. As soon as she got the price that it was going to cost, she said, basically walked away from it. And this was between December 30th and January 15th? Right. It was shortly after December 30th. If within days, we had that worked out. And how much did, what was the price tag? I think it was about 100000 There was lots of different numbers, but because it was an emergency, it could have been fixed for a cheap price, relatively you know, inexpensive price. And what, I know there's a, a, a whole lot of permitting that has to happen to work in a stream bed during the wet season. So had you guys worked out some way to, to help get that stuff through? Right, and I think that because it was a declaration of emergency for the storm, then that work could have been done in a pretty expedited fashion, right? For the next three weeks, while agencies and the landowner fought about whose responsibility it was to fix the sinkhole, the residents of Creekside found ways to get back and forth across the creek without a bridge. They hitchhiked to town, slipped in through the next-door neighbor's driveway, and improvised foot crossings across the steep banks with downed trees and planks. Danila Sands and the group United Disaster Relief were on site within days, helping residents access services, delivering gas cards and essential supplies, and hauling bags of groceries across the creek. When the bridge, the original sinkhole collapsed, the roadway, there was no way in other than the back property, so you got to hike in. And uh, the residents were so thankful and grateful that they would help. They would help load it into the next vehicle, and then they would hand deliver it out. Um, that was just really neat to see. There was a 12-year-old boy that would get his little cart. And the, the trailer park's a lot larger than it seems when you start hiking up those steep hills. And he's got these bags of groceries, and he's hand delivering them. And he just felt so proud to be a part of that, and that was really neat. Kate Fishman, who covered the story for the Mendocino Voice, visited Creekside on January 18th, the day Danila teamed up with the global disaster aid group World Central Kitchen to deliver meals to the residents. By that point, it was really like a well-oiled machine to get these supplies to everybody. They were driving it around the property and, and using wagons to pull it across this little footbridge. And 
um, that was really, really great and got to meet a bunch of people. How did they get the supplies across the creek? So they had on the other side, I guess it's the north end of the property um, is adjacent to a, a neighbor's property. And that person has a little footbridge that goes over the creek. And so they had all these little like toy wagons and just random wagons and stuff that they would then stack a bunch of food boxes on and pull across the creek. Um which worked pretty well. It, it's definitely an older little footbridge. So I think that in itself was kind of nerve wracking, depending on the weight of, of what you were trying to do. Um, but yeah, so that was how they would get supplies across. And then a lot of residents when leaving to go to work or meet people on the road or whatever, um, would actually go kind of around the failed culvert via this big tree route that was sort of coming across and yeah. In the meantime, Caltrans doubled down on their position that fixing the bridge was the landowner's responsibility. The landowner, Teresa Thurman, held firm that Caltrans should do the work because the crossing was on Caltrans property and they owned the culvert. Caltrans acknowledged they were the owners of the failed structure and the property was on, but they said the driveway was part of an encroachment permit to access private land, and therefore the owner was obligated to pay for the repair. The county agreed with Caltrans and spent the next weeks convening meeting after meeting trying to find a way to force Thurman to fix the washout. The owner had the responsibility to take care of this situation, but when it was clear that she wasn't taking care of it, then the county, because Caltrans wasn't going to do anything, except they were helping us figure out some of the logistics of how to deal with this culvert and the, you know, the connection to the highway because it was so close to the highway. And then basically it came down to the county, how do we deal with the people that need to get out and want to get out? And uh, because then we were seeing when we sent code enforcement in, we were seeing that there was some environmental degradation going on. There was sewage getting into the creek. There was, you know, the people were not living in healthy, um, an environment that was good. This was about two and a half, three weeks of living with no access at this point, right? Right. And the propane and everything like that, it was just all those issues were piling up. And so what was the county to do and how to, before a real emergency happened out there? The county began issuing frequent press updates on the situation at Creekside and created a list of Creekside FAQs. But still, the crisis persisted. Kate Fishman. Maybe part of what was so difficult with this particular situation was just how many county departments were involved, how many state agencies and also multiple elected officials at the state level, at the county level, were kind of in these meetings that I guess from the meetings, you know, decisions are eventually being made and these press releases were coming out. but. I feel like it was just re really, really inefficient in terms of what was ultimately produced. And I think there was a good amount of 
kind of liability avoidance happening, where once it became clear that this property owner was not going to deal with the culvert in any meaningful way that would help residents, I think that, as far as I can tell, is when public health got involved. But what what residents felt, I guess I can, can phrase it that way, a lot of people I talked to felt like they were really just looking for a reason. A few of the residents I spoke to really felt like the water testing was a way to condemn the property and say, okay, we have to get everybody out here to kind of get rid of the problem. Um, even though that for the residents in some ways is creating a much bigger problem. On Friday, January 20th, the county held a meeting with residents at the RV park to notify them that a temporary bridge would be installed for an evacuation on January 25th and 26th, Wednesday and Thursday of the coming week. After that, residents would no longer be allowed at the site. The next day, a Saturday, Mendocino County's public health officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, declared the site a local health emergency and ordered it closed threatening misdemeanor charges against anyone who didn't leave by 5 p.m. on Thursday, January 26th. His public health order was ratified by the Mendocino County Board of Supervisors at their next public meeting on Tuesday the 24th. Because it was encroaching on the highway and it was a dangerous situation, we had to close down one lane of the highway the whole time it was up there then Caltrans would only give us a permit for a couple days. And so it, it was one of those things where it wasn't a good situation. It wasn't, um, it was just the best we could do it with, in a very bad situation, I think. It seems like you had a solution at the beginning. The problem was that the landowner wouldn't take action. Why not just step in, do the emergency work, and then sewer afterwards just to take care of the people so they don't get displaced. Why we didn't just put in the, the fix at the very beginning? Yeah. Because there was, um, well, we can't just go in and fix someone's private property. Is it fair to say that at some point the county was like, we just have to get these people out of this situation? Like this, this, this RV park, we need to clear this out. This woman is not taking care of her responsibilities. Well, certainly that was, that was what it came down to. That's why we spent up to 250000 putting in that bridge for two days was we just felt like we needed to get those people out of an unhealthy environment. And most of the people did choose to leave. My name is Teresa Thurman and I'm the owner of Hauser Holdings which owns Creekside RV Park and I'm here today to address this board in order to clear the air and to respond to the false claims that the county has made against our conduct. Teresa Thurman's the much talked about owner of the Creekside RV Park. She spoke to the Board of Supervisors during public comment on January 24th after the county announced their plan to evacuate the site. 
I want to reiterate to the park that first and foremost, I was on this on the 30th, and uh, our, all that mattered most of all was the safety and the care and the concern and the welfare of the tenants on the park. I reached out to Teresa several times to set up an interview for this episode, and even went to her hotel in Ukiah to meet her, but was never able to actually speak with her. The word is that she owns several RV parks in California and elsewhere, including possibly in Lake County, but I couldn't confirm that with her. And that would be a culvert that the state needs to repair and you need to ask the state to repair and we can all get into a meeting together and talk about it if that's what you want to do, but it'll be less than $250,000. Thank you. On Wednesday, January 25th and Thursday, January 26th, the County of Mendocino attempted to evacuate the Creekside RV Park. This was a six month project and we got, gosh, 16, 17-ish, 15 to 17 trailers, motorhomes, bus out in like 17 hours. What was that process like, Danella? Well, I can tell you one of the haulers got injured because and two trailers got damaged because it was like you know time was against you park was chaos everyone was just moving their stuff out of the way to try to get their trailer out as fast as they can they left a lot of belongings behind because they were told that the power was getting shut off that the bathrooms were being closed that the, there would be no accessibility and then if you're on propane or you need any kind of emergency personnel you would get none of that you would there's no accessibility and it and the county basically just scare tactic of the majority of the people out of there. Just telling them a bunch of false, you know, false information that wasn't true. My name is Ruben Plaza and um, we were the haulers with Ojeda Transport. I own Plaza Towing and Tyler Ojeda owns Ojeda Transport. Okay, so when did you start hauling and how have things been going? So we had the 25th and 26th to get everybody out over 30-something residents. Um, I only had 17 on my list, and I didn't even get to all 17 that I talked to physically. Um, it was just people weren't ready to take down and move vehicles to get out of the way. I had to push a few vehicles out of the way just to get two trailers. Um, it was just, and the second day there was so many cars coming in and out with all their personal stuff. It was hard to maneuver everything around. Um, and working with the skinny bridge, we had to take even longer to do that. Each trailer is a home. It's somebody's home. And even just moving one person, one home moving is a huge thing. But even yeah. wrapping your head around 30, what's that been like? Uh, it's been crazy. The guy working for the towing company in this case it was Ruben Plaza um was driving the trailer itself and he basically had to kind of pull up to the bridge and then do a bunch of little micro turning anybody who's driven a big vehicle will be familiar with that to end up pretty much straight to go across the bridge so he was um, aligning himself to get through this narrow bridge and and about how wide across was the bridge the width, from what they said, uh, 107. 107 um, inches, okay. Yeah, was was enough 
for any vehicle that was in the park had had been the line and i i guess that was true it seems like everybody was was able to leave who wanted to um but truly like just enough i mean in uh, watching that trailer there was maybe like an inch of clearance on either side it was pretty it was tight <laughs> um, i maybe i'm exaggerating but that's really like what it what it looked like to me and so also then people standing by the bridge for traffic control were doing the like okay you can go a little to the left like go a little to the right who put the bridge in the bridge is a contract with County of Mendocino through some disaster funds that was at a border meeting um, with Wailati. Wailati told me that city of Ukiah's bridge in the County of Mendocino had access to it. Got it. The bridge was a bit narrow. Maybe that's all they had. I wish they would have tape measured some of the RVs and haulers because two got damaged and it took more time. Maybe we could have got more out. Um, but nonetheless, it is what it is today. Trying to move a whole RV park in, in 16 hours. We had eight hours the first day and eight hours the next day and then an hour after that. So 17 hours is not possible when it takes about at least half an hour to 45 minutes just to even get from one side of the park to the other. And whose decision was that to make it a 17 hour process? That was the private contractor, Wailati. And did you talk to them and ask them for more time? We did, but it was above our pay grade and above their pay grade. Um, we got probably 12, we got 15, we got about half out of there within the two days. If we would have had two more days, we definitely, if we would have been able to work through the night, I don't know why they put the tractor across the bridge at night but we've worked through the night you know we're not afraid of working 24 hours just in an emergency like this um and what's the job to like you you talked about the skinny bridge what was your what did you actually have to do to get trailers out of there we had to work with minimal space we had we're as long as a semi truck we're about 60 feet um and uh tyler was too big to fit through the the bridge so my truck was able to just shuttle him over here line them up and he was able to truck them back and forth so it was kind of like a team effort just to try to get them so um so you had to put a trailer on your pickup squeeze it through the little bridge and then get the bigger hauler to come in and take it the rest of the way to koa yes, yes. and then of course it's immediately highway 101 so they had the whole lane closest to the park closed off um, and then when people were were waiting to go, you know, along the one lane highway, if a trailer was coming out, it seemed like most of the time they would just stop traffic completely so that he could pull all the way across the highway and then again do these little micro turns to then be able to pull this trailer fully off the bridge. But some of these trailers are basically the length of the bridge. So that was another, you know just tricky element. So it's not, yeah, it's not just driving it off of it. <laughs> is your trailer still back there? It is. So you weren't able to get it across the bridge? Nope. Didn't, wasn't enough time. Did you try? Yes. Who my, did, my trailer was completely cleared out and ready to be towed. Who did you talk to to try to get it across that bridge? Um, the only uh, uh, tow guy that was in there. The only tow guy that could get in there because the bridge was too small to get trucks in there. And what did he tell you? 
that he, he would try to get me. You know, I mean, he was running with his head cut off trying to get people out of there. What those guys did was amazing. Much, much respect to those guys that have been towing all these trailers in here. And they did that on their own dime. And you just, there just wasn't time for you to go? There just wasn't enough time. And are there still 15 people left in there behind the broken road? There's more than that. There's more than that. And children in there. So, um, but the county's not shutting the water or the power off for them. They're keeping it on as long as they can. The other thing that was felt just, I don't know, difficult to me and, and very indicative of the kind of chaos of the whole situation was that I was really trying to find some county people to talk to while I was there in terms of like if code enforcement was there or um, any any kind of decision making entity or person on the scene who could kind of help people navigate and um, answer questions from people like me, answer questions from the haulers who were just, you know, independent guys who came to tow it was really just a couple of guys as far as I saw. Um, and so I was like looking for a person who, who could give some insight. And when I was there, which was only a few hours, but when I was there, there was nobody like that there, um, which, just felt really sort of symptomatic of what people who live there have been experiencing all along and felt all along from what I've heard which just is kind of on their own yeah just a lot of confusion and feeling like they are being judged and being ordered to just kind of get out of here and go to this place for 30 days and then shrug but there were, you know, I don't know exactly, but maybe 25 trailers. And it's just a lot. And to have there be no kind of overarching person on scene beyond the county and code enforcement doing traffic control um, was, I think, just really like heightened the confusion and the like cognitive dissonance for people. Mm -hmm. Creekside. It's a very sad situation. It's, these are victims by circumstance. They may not have lost their house um, immediately in a fire, but they've lost it to another degree. They lost their you know, place of community. They've lost their place of sense of security. And some have actually had to leave their houses behind and they can't get in. Maybe they're still in the hospital. Maybe they were incapable of packing physically, mentally, emotionally. The road was not open to allow any friends or family to come in with trucks to haul out stuff. They were discouraging people to even go there in the first place to help people uh, pack. So if you're in a wheelchair and you're told you got, you know, two days to pack and learn how to hook up a fifth wheel and get it ready on hitches, and that's just not something I'm very experienced and I would still need help with that. Definitely the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in my life. I mean, I had a car accident when I was a kid. That was pretty traumatic, but this makes no sense. Very inhumane. Very inhumane. The way that they force these people out. It's sad. It's very sad. And the people of Mendocino County need to know what happened here because a lot of the people are under an understanding of something completely different. What do you think people don't understand? 
the media has pursued that place to be something that it's not. And that's what it's about. It's bashing on that park and bashing on the owner. It's when the owner turned her back and she didn't. Anything else you want people to understand about what happened? Very inhumane. Very inhumane. The county could have done so much more. They were going to be after that park, fine. They want to go after Teresa, fine. That's a legal battle between the landowner and you guys. These people should not have to suffer for that. And it was like a gunfight. And all those people in between with, with, with nothing. It was, it was chaotic. On Saturday, I visited Creekside. It was the day after the temporary bridge had been removed. When I arrived, I found Ruben Plaza, the hauler from the evacuation days. He was preparing to pull onto the highway from a gravel turnout. His truck was hooked up to the last trailer to get out of the park. The trailer's owners had spent the night on the turnout. Now they were packed up in their car, waiting to follow him to the Mendocino Redwoods RV Resort, the old KOA out Highway 20 west of Willits. As they drove away, another resident arrived and parked in the turnout. She and a friend walked over the driveway to the neighbor's house, apologizing as they crossed through his yard to go up the creek to her home at Creekside. I walked back down the side of the highway to where the bridge had washed out. A row of orange traffic cones along the edge of the creek was the only clue a driveway had ever been there. The steep banks of Reeves Creek had been contoured by a bulldozer and covered over with burlap to stabilize the slopes. There were piles of debris and chunks of asphalt in the creek. It was easy to walk down to the water, hop over the creek, and climb up the other side to the road. I had arranged in advance to visit, but there isn't any cell service at the park, and the message hadn't gotten through. A man named Chris met me at the front gate. He'd been hired by Teresa Thurman to do security. He checked, but my name wasn't on the list of people allowed to enter the park. My name is Alicia Bales. Yeah, you are not on the list. Oh, no. Like I said, I came here from Idaho. Bridge washed out. And since I was here, I was like, I might as well work or help or do something. Yeah, you're not on here. Okay. I can walk uh, with you up. That would be and above and beyond if and you'd be willing whatnot. to do that. <laughs> I'm not that worried about it. Chris had arrived at Creekside the day before the bridge washed out. He was from Idaho and was basically stranded in Willets with his dog, Daisy May. Teresa offered to let him stay in an abandoned trailer and hired him to do security and help around the park during the disaster. Daisy, kill! Hey, kill! Um, I don't have to worry about other dogs now, so I let her off the leash. You know, <laughs> there's no more dogs. The main road meandered through the park. There didn't seem to be anyone around. It was kind of eerie. 
There were more RVs there than I expected, with occasional gaps between them where someone had been hauled out. There was stuff everywhere, moving boxes and piles of trash, front yard furniture and decorations disheveled and dismantled. This is actually a memorial to his, um, here, no, over here. Okay. Right here. This is John's house, or was his house. Uh -huh. And he's a really good guy, but this, he, it took him five years to carve out the side of this bank and build this because his sister passed away. And it's a memorial for her. Wow. And he had to leave it in two days. A little way down the road, we met one woman standing in front of a large converted school bus. She'd come to visit her friend who lived in the bus, which didn't run and had no chance of being hauled out of the park. Like Chris, the woman was very upset. I want this to be like nationally recognized as a humanitarian crisis. I don't live here, but I, I've known people that have lived here for 20 plus years. Like, if people that lived back beyond that bridge were well-to-do, this would not be happening. No. But there are working professionals here. There are disabled people. There are elderly. And there are people that, you know, are very used to squatting. We police our own because yeah. Yeah. they wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't they take care of these people. They threw people and make things harder. Yeah. They're strong-arming people out of their homes, yeah. and it's yeah. wrong. I've never seen anything like this. This is something that happens in other countries, not America. You don't just just because people are branded as something doesn't mean they are that. Nothing out at Creekside felt resolved. Residents had been scattered, displaced to temporary accommodations at the KOA or other RV parks, or staying with friends. The fabric of their community, sense of connection with the land, and social support networks had been shredded, with no clue about what will happen to them in the long term. But most of the RVs are still out there behind the creek, still cut off from the main road and vulnerable in the case of any emergency. And even though I only saw a couple of people on site, Many more are undoubtedly staying with their homes and belongings in the park. Chris, thank you so much. That was super kind of you to walk me back in there. Well, wasn't that kind? I wanted to rant and rave a little. Good. All right. Be well. I hope you get home. On my way out, I thanked Chris and Daisy May for showing me around and thank made my way back Goodbye. across the creek. If anything, the Creekside catastrophe has exposed the marginal conditions people are living in in this county and how ill-equipped the county really is to help these communities during a disaster. Big question is, where is the housing for people of real limited means in this county? What are we doing about that and how, how do we deal with this? This situation just put a real spotlight on on the problems that exist for many people in the county. Absolutely. And I wonder in your district, the third district where Creekside is and Willits and up out into Laytonville and Covalo, um, 
how many people in your district are living in conditions like this, in, in RV parks or in mobile home parks? Do you know? I don't know the numbers. I know that there are certain RV parks. There's uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a fairly good-sized one in Laytonville. There's one in, in Covalo. And people, you know, at least there's some housing there for them, you know, that maybe the conditions aren't that great, but, you know, that's something that code enforcement needs to, you know, look at. We've had problems, you know, I've gotten calls about, like, w during the drought times that um, the one in Cobolo didn't have any water, that they were s actually selling the water off to, um, to water haulers. And the people at the park didn't have water, but, uh, you know, it got resolved before code enforcement could get up there. You know, some of those kind of situations. There's not a lot of housing in Mendocino County. You know, it's, it's so difficult to find housing. My name is Teresa DeSimone, and I'm deputy director here at CDC. Cool. And you didn't have anyone from CDC out at Creekside. We don't. We looked into it to see if any of our people receiving rental assistance um, had lived there, and nobody on our programs is living there. The Community Development Commission, or CDC, is the agency that administers Section 8 and HUD housing in Mendocino County. We provide rental assistance to um, people who are eligible for our rental assistance programs. Most of them are people that who need to be under a certain income limit. They serve 1,100 residents in Mendocino County, administering about a million dollars of funding every year. The units they subsidize are inspected to make sure they meet health and safety criteria. RVs and fifth wheels do not meet these minimum standards for secure housing, so the CDC can't provide rental assistance to locals who live in RV parks. But they can provide help for park residents to get into more permanent housing. I don't know if any of them would be interested in going out into like the private rental market where they're trying to find housing, but we have a preference on our waiting list for um, people who have been affected by a federal or state declared natural disaster. Um, and if FEMA was involved, these folks over here uh, would qualify for that preference and they could get on our housing choice voucher waiting list and they would get preference points that would bring them close to the top of that waiting list but they couldn't use that type of rental assistance in a recreational vehicle they would have to go out into the private landlord tenant market and find housing what do we need here in this county to better solve the housing crisis is it just more houses? One of the big problems is, is there's not enough housing out there. Um, that definitely is um, one of the key contributing factors to people. They can't locate housing, you know, in our county, um, especially those people who live out on the coast. There's just, it's not there, you know. Um, so. Yes, that is the biggest barrier. Absolutely. There may be some immediate resources available to residents impacted by the Creekside sinkhole. Mendocino County was included in the federal disaster declaration after the storms, and FEMA has sent crews here to help people apply for federal disaster assistance. 
FEMA will set up a disaster recovery center starting February 18th until Friday the 24th at the Willits Community Center. It'll be open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. all week. People can also apply for aid online at disasterassistance.gov or call 800-621-3362. I talked to the FEMA workers when they had their mobile unit trailer set up behind the Willits Library this week, and they couldn't tell me how long it would take for applicants to receive aid. But there could be money available to help survivors in the short term, depending on eligibility. It's not at all clear what will happen to Creekside residents when their temporary accommodations run out, or whether the road to the RV park will ever be repaired for them to return home. Are there any plans to fix it and let people come back, or is that that ship has sailed? Well, I haven't had any discussions about the county fixing it, that or putting, you know, we did what we had to do in that situation. And, you know, it's, it's private property. And so we can only do so much. And, and so it's unfortunate that people are still out there, but it's their, their choice. And the county wasn't going to go in and evict them from it. Were you able to find another place to be? Not at the moment, no. Um, like I said, it takes time to find an apartment or even getting into an RV park or stuff like that. You know, like this RV park, it was really cool that they let unregistered trailers in here so people have a place to be, you know, and try to figure, you know, and it's two months, to, you know, that's, a, you know, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say a decent amount of time to try to figure out what you're going to do with your life and everything that you, you know, that you own right there, but... I think that the county should have gave them more time. They should actually help these people. If, if they're not willing to help the people, you know what I mean? Let, uh, you know, a nonprofit organization help these people, you know, actually help these people or just step back and let people, you know, like NCO and CDC and let those people step in and do what they're there to do. What do you think the people's greatest needs right now, what would help look like? Money money. What do you think happens now? What's going to happen to the people who are still in there? Are you guys going to keep bringing them supplies? I'm hoping there's no seniors in there. You know, it's a bit of an, a bit of a hike in because the road conditioned when they took the bridge out, they had to buy the permits and fish and wildlife. They had to remove everything they put in. So there's no walkway, no proper walkway, no roadway anymore. Um, they have services at our center at 1240 Airport Park Boulevard. They can get, get some supplies if they need. And then the people here, every time someone donates gift cards or gas cards or we need to relay a resource to them, I'm going to check in with them, give hugs, whatever. And then our volunteers are at the center and they know they can come there Monday through Friday. And, you know, whatever they need there, they can come in and get additional services and our volunteers are ready. A lot of this it's going to get messy again in a couple months. Right, it's right. like the FEMA trailers. Right. They went in. Now how do we get the next step? It's like step? the immediate, yeah. immediate stability, but then you have to figure out long-term right. solutions. And as we all know, in this county, there's no housing. There's no housing.
few months ago, on October 13th. I came home to find a letter taped to my front door. It was from the rental company, notifying me I had 60 days to vacate, because the house where I'd been living for over five years was being sold. My son had just moved out to go to college a few weeks before, and I was comforted in my empty nest, surrounded by years of memories of our lives in that house. The stress and panic of facing a search for a new home in Mendocino County was indescribable. And I was, at that time, employed, resourceful, and able-bodied. To order the residents of Creekside, some of whom had lived there for 20 years, to be out in less than a week, to threaten them with misdemeanor charges if they didn't comply, and to spend a quarter of a million dollars to put them through a chaotic, grossly disorganized, and perilous evacuation. This is a degree of trauma I can hardly comprehend. With all of the state, local, and federal resources available in this situation, and all of the meetings with State Senator McGuire, Assemblyman Wood, Code Enforcement, Public Health, the Board of Supervisors, the Housing and Community Development Agency, State Fish and Wildlife, Water Quality, the Army Corps of Engineers, the Office of Emergency Services, Becky Emery and the County Department of Social Services, the Sheriff's Office, Darcy Antle and the Executive Office, Legal Aid, Environmental Health, County Council, and above all, Caltrans. We've got to ask ourselves, how could we have failed these people so terribly? Now, there there were people who were helpful. There were people who came in and were able to help. Will you talk about those who, who came that provided services that were really needed? Yeah, Kate Fishman of the Mendocino Voice. I definitely don't know everybody who is involved and and I'm sure that there are people I I haven't heard about or can't speak to. I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention United Disaster Relief of Northern California, which is Danila Sands' nonprofit that was able to give people vouchers for having their property towed, which did cost money, um, for staying in a motel, whether immediately after or during the moving process, whatever they needed. Um, Was able to give people food, sometimes hot meals, sometimes groceries over the course of the time that they were stuck without vehicle access and supplies like deodorant and um, diapers and you know just things things that you need um, and that is is such a tremendous service that that nonprofit that is all volunteer run was providing um, and over and over residents said how grateful they were for that and all of them have the ability to receive services from UDRNC for three months I believe um, so that was was really, really great that they were able to help out and um, and do that. Social services, I know, also visited the property a bunch and specifically adult and aging services was working with um, people on disability and uh, a kind of critical mass of people there who receive oxygen supplies. I don't know that they were able to bring oxygen supplies actually onto the property from what I've heard from people, but at least they were in communication, figuring out what people needed and um, have been able to to continue to connect with them after they got to that, that next location. So certainly all of that 
help was really instrumental. And I know um, Supervisor John Haschak was had visited the property at least once, I believe, um, and you know was very concerned with trying to bring everybody together to talk about solutions and got McGuire and Wood involved and. Um, yeah, there was certainly no lack of desire to help, but I think the way that it turned out and the amount of confusion still felt by residents really points to that larger need for systems that can better accommodate something like this and, and more efficiently help people. Like that, that temporary bridge was $250,000. And just that in itself is really, it was there for two days. <laughs> really my main thing that I've been thinking about with this, um, that is just that it feels like disasters like this are only going to become more common with climate change and with, you know, hotter and wider ranging wildfires every year and flooding like we, we saw in January and like this was, you know, somewhat linked to and somewhat a part of, um, that those types of crises and emergencies that potentially displace huge numbers of people are not going away and aren't a fluke. And I think there really needs to be a more kind of unified and, and almost like triaging sense of how to deal with that and how to make sure people are safe and make sure that they don't lose everything. And I'm so happy about the FEMA funding. And I think there's there's some confusion maybe still about you know who that will apply to and um and whether that applies to to everybody at Creekside and so I, I don't want to say anything definitive about that but um that is really great when something like that happens but it's not having permanent housing for people displaced by disasters and it's not um I don't know it, it's like it's not something that we can rely on and I think the real messiness of this situation and the lack of clarity has just really shown that low-income people and older people and disabled people are people with disabilities rather are going to bear the brunt of crises like this when they happen and it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> The Creekside story is far from over. Please follow United Disaster Relief of Northern California to find out more. I'll link to their website in the summary section of this episode. There you can make donations to help Creekside survivors, volunteer, and stay informed as things continue to unfold. And Danila Sands is a rock star. I can't imagine living in this county without her. Can you? This has been episode three of the Unmanageable podcast, news from the unruly people and places of Mendocino County. 
I'm your host, Alicia Bales. I'm grateful to everyone who shared their voices with me for this episode, especially the resident of Creekside who took the time to talk with me during a very hard time. Special thanks as well to 3rd District Supervisor John Haschak, Kate Fishman, Chris and Daisy May, Teresa DeSimone, Anna Halligan, Steve Scalmanini, and of course, Danila Sands. And shout out too to Zach Borden for composing the theme music, Stumptown, from his album, Whistles and Steam. Hello to listeners at KLLGFM in Willits, where Unmanageable is now airing Tuesday afternoons at 2 o'clock. It feels really good to be on the radio again. Thanks for having me. To all of you who've supported this effort so far by downloading, subscribing, listening, and donating, your trust and encouragement mean everything. Thank you. If you'd like to be in touch with questions, comments, or story ideas, please send me an email at unmanageablemendocino at gmail.com. You can make a financial contribution to keep this podcast going by following the PayPal link in the episode summary. More episodes are on the way. Thank you so much for listening. For the Unmanageable Podcast, I'm Alicia Bales. What's your podcast called? uh, It's called Unmanageable. (laughs) How appropriate. And you're walking with me. I'm pretty unmanageable. (laughs) 